Good, good morning. Good to see you. Glad that you are here and uh, excited about where God has taken us through this teaching series, Pros and Cons, Decision Making for Geniuses. Now, it has been a long-held axiom in the legal profession that a good attorney should never ask a question at trial to which she doesn't already know the answer. You don't want to ask a question of a witness on the stand that you don't know the answer to because then they could surprise you, they could throw your line of questioning off, they could actually wreck your entire case. This is a, an axiom, this is a, a guideline. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but this is a rule that successful litigators have followed since time immemorial. Well, long before Abraham Lincoln became our 16th president, we know, of course, that he was a practicing attorney. And during his career as an attorney, Lincoln was one time tasked with defending a man who had been charged with biting another man's ear off in a bar fight. It was a colorful time to live in America. And as his defense attorney, Lincoln violated this long-held axiom of don't ask a question unless you know the answer to it. He violated it at a critical point in this trial when he was cross-examining a witness to the fight that had happened in that particular tavern. Now, the transcript of said trial, if it ever existed at all, has long been lost to history, but this is the course of questioning that Lincoln is reported to have gone down of this witness on the stand. Lincoln, did you see the fight my client is accused of starting. Witness, no, I didn't. Lincoln, well, did you see my client strike anyone? Witness, no, I didn't. Lincoln, well, did you see my client pin the victim to the ground? Witness, nope, I didn't. Lincoln, well, did you see my client bite off the victim's ear? Witness, no, I didn't. Lincoln, at the critical moment. Well, then, how do you know my client bit the victim's ear off? Witness, well, I saw him spit it out. <laughs> I tried to trace the veracity and the validity of that story. I got to tell you, I don't even care if it's true. That is a great story. I saw him spit it out. Be careful of asking questions that you don't know the answer to. While it is obviously sound legal practice, it's also really, really sound spiritual practice. You and I need to be really, really careful about asking God, about praying to God for things that we don't know the answer to. A lot of times we will pray, we will present our request to God. He tells us to present our request. And we pray about things that we think we know the answer to or we think we know what we want. But some of the most desperate prayers ever prayed are those prayers that get prayed when we not only don't know the answer to the prayer, we don't even know what to pray for. This is that moment that pretty much everyone who follows Christ arrives at at least 
once, if not several, multiple times throughout our lives. Those times when you get to the end of yourself, that time when a situation or a circumstance seems insurmountable. We, we just sang the song, God, move the immovable, break the unbreakable. It's that kind of soul deep prayer. It's that place that we get to when we become truly curious. When we get really curious about what God wants to do, about what God will do, about what God can do, and because of our curiosity, we, we get, we're inquisitive, we're inquiring, we begin to probe and pry and, and, and just strip away all of the extraneous noise of life and say, God, what are you doing? God, what will you do? I'm so curious. And when we get to these places in life, this is where we break out maybe the most effective tool ever given to us, that the sharpest tool available to us for discerning the will of God, discerning the ways of God. I'm talking, of course, about prayer and fasting. With prayer and fasting, we get to those places where the mountain is immovable. It seems there is no way out. We cannot fathom the course or the route to take. And it's in those moments that we pray those prayers, those, those soul-deep curiosity prayers, and we fast. We, we, we stop consuming food. In those moments, it's not the fast and the furious. It's the fast and the curious. We say, God, what do you want? What, what are you doing? What are you teaching me? What are you showing me? What are you developing within me? What do you want to do through me and in spite of me? And the fast becomes this amazing tool, the sharpest tool in the shed for cutting away all of the stuff that builds up in our lives, all of the busyness, all of the appetites, all of the relationships, all of the meetings that get in the way of discerning God's will and God's ways. Now, when we talk about a fast, some of you think, well, I do that all the time. I intermittent, I'm intermittent fasting right now. I haven't eaten since 6.30 last night. I'm not going to eat until 12.30 today. I am a spiritual giant. And that's great if that's you. It's great if you have, maybe for the new year, you've cut out sugar and soft drinks or alcohol or whatever it might be. But in terms of a biblical spiritual fast, that ain't it. To say that we are fasting. When we, when we talk about a fast, here's what we're talking about from a biblical perspective. A biblical fast is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter number five, he said, blessed are those. <laughs> blessed, that means happy. Joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, you will get it every single time. This is one of the themes that plays out throughout the entire Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter number 30, Moses' farewell address, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says to them, listen, this covenant that we have now entered into with Yahweh 
with God, it's not too hard. It's not too difficult for you. It's not one of these things that is so far up in heaven that somebody has to go get it and bring it down. It's over across the sea. They have to go get it and bring it back. He says, no, it is there for the taking. You just have to live in this covenant and live out this covenant day in and day out by the decisions that you make. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you hunger for the things of God, he promises he will satisfy that hunger. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to wonder. Well, I don't know. If you genuinely seek God, he is there for the taking. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that Jesus is our great high priest, that because of what he did through the cross, burial and resurrection, he is now our priest. He is our intermediary between us and God, and we have direct access into the presence of God in Christ. We no longer need a priest who goes behind the veil in the Holy of Holies one day a year, which is what the Israel priest did. Jesus is now that priest, and we have direct access to God. I don't need another person. You don't need somebody else as an intermediary. As We, we go directly to God. That's what happened in and through the cross. And because of the cross, when we pray and when we fast, Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, I mean, minuscule, tiny little thing, smaller than the poppy seed on your bagel, if you have that kind of faith, coupled with the will of God, you can move mountains. Praying and fasting moves mountains. Now, I understand, too, for some of us here, maybe you've heard about praying and fasting, and you've thought to yourself, I should do that. That's, that's a good idea. I, I should do that. Right now, I'm hungry, but I, I should do that. And for others of you, maybe you're thinking, like, well, that sounds kind of like a little woo-woo, a little kind of radical and extreme. Understand that the spiritual purposes of God play out in the physical realities of our lives. So when, when we fast and pray, what we're doing is deliberately, willfully, volitionally submitting our appetites, our desires. The God's given us, by the way. We're submitting those things to God for his purposes, we're asking God to do something that we can't do. We're asking God to work in situations, in circumstances that are beyond our control. We're asking him to work in ways that are beyond our ways. And when we fast, because we're curious, when we fast and we start to feel that little twinge of hunger, the reality is most of us will never know true hunger pain we, we may experience hunger pangs. We may experience that little twinge of hunger, like, ooh. But when we're fasting and praying, when we start to feel that hunger, it's a reminder that we're in a season of prayer for God's purposes, for God's ways. We're asking God to do something that we can't do. Here's the thing. This is next level Christianity. This is where we graduate. We're no longer high school or even undergrad. Man, we're going to master's 
and PhD-level decision-making. When we're praying and we're fasting, we've said before, this is, you know, we wanna take our faith and our spirituality to the H&L, right? The whole nother level. Well, I think really in this case, we're going to a whole nother level because this is deep. This is, this is profound. This is where you quit playing around. This is where you're done hydroplaning in the things of God. This is where you dig in. The Bible says deep calls unto deep. And when deep calls unto deep, God answers. You will seek me and find me when you know me, when you seek me with all of your heart. The deepest part of who you are. If, if you're here and just kind of checking out the God thing for the first time, man, that's massive. That's huge. Others of us have been checking it out for a while. Others of us have been in it, but we've kind of like, we, we're waiting around in the things of faith. And at first, that's fine. But I promise you this, if you live long enough, if you love God long enough, you will reach a point where you are at the end of yourself. You will get to a place where you can't do it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face, tell him, I need help. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to that same person and tell them, you need help. I don't know if you could tell, y'all were a little more enthusiastic about number two than you were number one. We, we don't like to say we need help, especially the men of the house. Now, ladies, you have your own issues, so don't get cocky. But I think men, we don't like to ask for help. Twisted blue steel don't need no help. But man, when we get to that place, when we get to that place of spiritual curiosity, of, of desperation, that's where the good stuff happens. That's, that's where the deep stuff happens. That's where we quit playing games. We're not just playing at church. We're connecting with God Almighty at a soul deep level. It's what we're created for. This is where we begin to experience him. And prayer and fasting is a tool available to us. When we talk about moving a mountain, we're talking about prayer and fasting that moves mountains. What are we asking for? First of all, we're asking for God's intervention. We're asking for God to intervene in the normal course of life, in, in the normal course of human affairs, saying, God, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. I'm asking for you to intervene, to be a part, to show me the solution, to, to take me where you want to take me. We're asking for God's intervention. Number two, we're asking for direction. Where do I go? What do I do? If you're married, you don't have to wonder, does God want my marriage to thrive and to flourish? He wants your marriage to thrive and to flourish. Marriage is a vehicle for the image of God, male and female. Marriage is a testimony to God's love for his people in Christ, Christ and the church. 
you know God wants that to work. So you don't have to worry about it. You have to wonder about that. Now, how do we get there? How do we get unstuck if our marriage is stuck? Sometimes you've got to pray and fast through that. You're asking for direction. We're asking for wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment. We've said throughout this series that wisdom is the appropriate application of godly principles in practice. We're putting into practice those biblical, godly principles of life. That's wisdom. Discernment's a little different. Discernment is more in the moment. You have discernment in the moment to think, this this guy's lying to me. Or, "I, I don't really need to buy that. That's discernment in the moment. Sometimes you need to pray for those things, fast for those things. Sometimes we pray and we fast for healing, for healing. God is the great physician. We know that he heals people sometimes. Sometimes the healing is not until they are in heaven and they're restored, more alive than you and I are alive, but we pray for that. We fast for healing. Maybe the healing of a relationship, the healing of our thought processes, the healing of our minds. Sometimes we pray and we fast for repentance. We've all got certain sins that we're vulnerable to, certain expressions of our brokenness that that keep cropping up. The old school term for this was a besetting sin. That was a sin that beset you. That just means it's chronic. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do is what I do. But sometimes we, we pray and we fast and we say, God, I'm begging you to give me the grace necessary to repent, to turn and walk away from, to not be plagued, to not be vulnerable to this temptation. Sometimes it's prayer and fasting. And then sometimes we pray for a breakthrough. We're praying and fasting for a breakthrough, for deliverance for something. Maybe, maybe you've had a a problem that has gone on for years and years and years. Maybe, maybe it's a, a wayward child, a child that you brought into this world, a child that you adopted, a child that you prayed for, and they've wandered away from faith. They've wandered away from home in every sense of the word. And so we pray and we fast for, for a breakthrough, for a deliverance for that. But these are the mountains that praying and fasting moves. And I I debated whether or not to even preach this sermon. There was part of me that was like, man, there are going to be people who think that's weird. And then I got to this place. I don't care. I don't care if you think it's weird. Because it works. If you think it's weird, respectfully, I disagree with you, and because you ain't tried it. If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. Prayer and fasting works. As a matter of fact, also in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, he talks about three disciplines of disciples. Disciple just means somebody who follows a teacher, or in his day and age, a rabbi. The disciplines of a disciple are the things that people do who follow that particular rabbi, our good shepherd, Jesus. And he talked about prayer. Matthew 6 is where we have the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, et cetera, et cetera. He talked about giving. He said, now when you give, 
Don't make a big production and a show out of it like the hypocrites do. Give in private. Be generous, give, but don't make a big show out of it. But then he also talked about prayer and fasting. He talked specifically about fasting. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. He said, now when you fast. So in Jesus' mind, it's just an assume that we're going to do this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. These are people just going through the motions so that you'll be impressed. Oh, I would come to the meeting, but I'm fasting right now for spiritual reasons. Jesus said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That means be presentable to the world. Verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So don't make a big show out of it. Don't make a big production out of it. But do it. Fast. Carry on with your life but fast, live in those seasons of deep, deep prayer, deep curiosity, asking God, what do you want? What are you doing? What are your ways? It's through prayer and fasting that we connect with God more intimately, more personally, more obediently. And it's through praying and fasting that God shows up in huge ways. Now, as I said, it's not the same as an intermittent fast. How many of you have intermittent fasted for physical purposes? Let me just see a show of hands if you intermittent fast. It's a fascinating thing. It's a great thing. I, I do this on a, on a pretty regular basis. Not every day, but pretty regularly. And all that means, if you haven't done it, it just means that you, you have a window where you do eat and a bigger window where you don't eat. Like from, let's say that from... Noon until 6 or 6.30, whatever, that's your window to eat. So that means that the window is closed from 6 o'clock till noon the next day. You just don't eat. It's crazy what it does. The, what it does for you in terms of alertness, in, in terms of just being on your game physically, when you fast for a spiritual purpose, that takes it to a whole nother level. All of a sudden, you've invited God into this physical exercise that makes it spiritual that then penetrates the core of who you are. To fast. Years and years ago, too many years to count, we had a, a situation with a person on our staff who was a great, great person. Great person. We really, obviously we love everybody, but we really like this person. And I just could tell something was weighing him down. There, there was, it was just kind of weighing him down. And Julie and I talked about it, and we said, you know what? We're going to pray and fast about what to do about this, about how to handle this. Not going not to, you know, have a, have a conversation just yet. Let's pray and fast. And so we decided for a week we were going to pray and fast about this particular situation. And we would drink juice and drink water and coffee. And that, that was it. No food not even fruits and vegetables, 
But we're going to pray and fast for a week. On the second day of this fast, the second day, this guy called me. He said, I want to talk to you. He goes, I I just got something weighing on my heart. I, I said, great. So went to get coffee and sat down. I said, what's going on? He said, I really feel like God is calling us into a new season of ministry, into doing something else. This is the second day after we started fasting. I didn't have to come up with a really smart answer. I didn't have to plan this, that, and the other. This person had no idea that Julie and I were fasting. This person, led by God, called me and initiated the conversation and was going somewhere else. Now, at this point, Julie and I had a moral dilemma because we had said we were going to fast for seven days, and this was the second day of the fast. I was like, I'm good, you? No, but we, we finished it out because, again, this was a spiritual commitment. But those are the kind of things that happen every time we pray and we fast. God shows up. And this person left well. It wasn't a, a negative thing. Some, how many of you know some people leave well? Some people don't. Somebody help me preach. This, this ended up being a win for everybody. Doesn't always happen that way. So how do you pray and how do you fast? How do you do it? First of all, from a physical standpoint, be wise. If you have certain physical challenges, be aware of that. Maybe talk to your physician before you take on an extended fast. If, if you're a diabetic, let's don't start with a 40-day fast. Be wise. You don't want to be unwise or foolish if you're praying for wisdom. But given that caveat, here's how you fast. And we're going to use Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This particular passage of Scripture is not speaking directly to fasting, but I think it does give us a roadmap of how to do it. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So how do you fast and pray? Number one, start with God. Fasting has to start with God. I promise you this. Two things will happen when you consider fasting. You will think, I'm going to shed some pounds by doing this. That'll happen. Ignore it. That's not why you're doing this. Second thing that'll happen, sometime during your fast, especially when when you've endured it for a little while and you've gotten over those initial little hunger twinges and pangs, at some point in the fast, your humanity and your flesh will kick in and you'll be like, I'm actually doing this. I have got it going on. That's fine that that thought pops up. Kill it. Move away from it. And remember, this is a spiritual thing. I'm starting with God. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Because of what he did for me on the cross. Because of what he did for me through the cross and in the resurrection. In view of his mercy. I will present my body as a living sacrifice on and on and on. Start 
with God. Use that throughout the whole thing. John Wesley, the great reformer of the 18th century said, first, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this, and this alone to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Start with God, be sustained with God, and finish with God. Number two, go gladly. Go gladly into a season of fasting and praying. It says offer your bodies. That means that you, you offer. This is an offering. It's not done under coercion or compulsion. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. That passage is about scripture, but it also applies to our bodies. If I'm giving my body up to God, I'm surrendering my appetites, do it joyfully. You're like, God, I, I don't know, never done this before, but it's in there. I'm trusting you with it. Go gladly. Number three, go without. Go without food. It's not that big a deal. Most of us will never, ever worry about food. But when we willingly refrain from food for a spiritual purpose, then we begin to understand the disciplines of a disciple. Then we start to say, okay, when we do feel that twinge of hunger, when we feel that little thing kick in where normally we would get an RX bar or a salad or a cheeseburger or a biscuit, and we don't, we remember we're submitting ourselves physically in order to grow ourselves spiritually. So we, we go without. We do without food in some way, shape, or form. And then number four, go deeper. Go deeper. Quit playing around at the things of faith. Quit dipping your toes in once, twice a month. Make it a lifestyle. Go deeper. He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing to God. That's just deeper. That's just more profound. That, that's just when you quit playing around. I mentioned to you Hebrews 10 earlier that said Jesus is our great high priest. This is what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, it says, for by one sacrifice, you want to talk about offering your body? That's what our Lord did. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, yes, it affords us forgiveness. Yes, it allows us to live the life that is truly life, to have life and have it overflowing to the full. But it is also the beginning of a process by which he makes us 
holy. Now, we're not there yet. You're not there, I'm not there. We're in process. Only once we are with him, after this life, after he calls us home, are we holy, but we're in process. We're on our way. And prayer and fasting is one of those things that jumpstarts that process. Prayer and fasting is where we quit playing around and we grow up in our faith. We're not like little kids drinking mother's milk. We're full-grown adults no matter our age, eating the solid food of the Spirit of God. But it's that relationship. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Today we've covered a lot of ground. But I never want us to lose sight of the fact that no matter how deep we go, no matter how far we travel, it begins with relationship. It begins with relationship, it is sustained by relationship, and it reaches its fulfillment in relationship with Christ. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that, to take that first step of faith, that commitment into a relationship with God. If that's you, then you pray just right where you are. Just silently, from your heart to God, say something like this, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, holding none of it back in order to receive the fullness of your forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I will give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This is, this is sacred ground when God's moving in people's lives. If that was your prayer, I, I want you to know as a church, we are so excited for you. We're excited with you. And we want to help with, with what comes next. We'll explain how to do that in just a second. But in this moment, as our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed. If that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up in the air as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that we celebrate that with you. Our family tradition around here is as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.